all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective is back in the studio. I'm Dr. Allie Brown here with my co-host, Dr. Michelle Owens. Hey, y'all. Can't believe it. We are actually in the studio. We are we are doing this thing. It is a beautiful day outside. It is. It is Women's Health Week slash month. And all is well because this is our first step back to something that seems sort of normal-ish. Yeah, I guess most people have heard uh, the CDC came out with a recommendation that vaccinated, fully vaccinated individuals can go out in public with some restrictions uh, without a mask um, because they are thought to be protected. So it's kind of a big day of it. I don't know. Today just feels kind of a bit different. Like even if you don't necessarily, you know, you still exercise caution, but that's a big step. Yeah, even to have that recommendation come out. Yeah, I, so I think I think that's great. Um, the other thing is for for all the people who have been I hate this term, but vaccine hesitant or what have you, all you people who are waiting it out, keep wearing your masks. So hello, people. That is for the people who are fully vaccinated, who actually are thought to confer some degree of protection. But I I just I really worry about that kind of being an excuse for people to just say that we don't need them anymore. And we, we kind of still do, as you know, when you saw me this morning, um, I walked in, I still have my mask on, um, you know, hospitals and other places are not lifting restrictions immediately. And I think that, you know, even though, um, we've made some considerable strides, um, over the past year and, and a few months, I, I still think that we do need to be cautious. I'm cautious, man. I am. Not, um, not a bad thing to be. No, no, not at all. And I'm. And here's the other thing. So, so there. So it's really great that we might be kind of starting to see the, you know, the fog lifting and and starting to kind of be able to bask in the in the sunshine of of something outside of you know just masks and and separation. Um, but as people are starting to gather, I do, I do think that they should be cautious. Um, Keep in mind too, uh, there are if you are a person who's behind the mask and want to have the opportunity to be without it, um, vaccination is 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 your key to that, and and the way that you can kind of have some degree of of um, a feeling of safety. Um, but yeah, I think that we're still not done yet. And if you look at just the history of pandemics um, over time, it's still a it's a process you know it yeah it, it doesn't just turn yeah. off even with even it didn't with, end today no right? it did not um so even with um even with you know a, a year behind us a very difficult year mind you um i think that you know we owe it all to the people who have who we've lost um and to the 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 scientists and the people who are have been really working hard 
um, to create the health advances that are going to ultimately help get us out of this mess and keep us safe um, to just continue to be cautious. Optimistically cautious is what I say. When people say, well, how do you feel about this thing? I was like, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistically cautious. I like the optimism. Oh, yeah, because I feel like we we need it, right? Like we really need this opportunity to have some something to look forward to. Um, I know. Got to stop like, brushing my teeth again. Oh People are going to see my mouth. I knew you didn't brush your teeth this morning. I didn't want to mention it up close. I did. Personal, I, but I, I did today. <laughs> and I wore pants with a button. Which is great. I know. I actually left the house. So yeah. it felt, felt good. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited. And, you know, selfishly, I, I'm just thrilled that we are able to be back in the studio um, and for us to have the opportunity to get together again. Yay. Because um, we've been, look, y'all, we've been serious with the Skype. The Skype thing has been a whole thing for us, um, you know, during this time. And we're just so grateful to be able to be back in the studio. Um, we are so appreciative to the listeners who have continued to stick with us um, through all of our technical challenges. And as we've kind of had to learn how to, to how to do this in a remote way, but to still be able to do it. And just for the production team here to continue to give us an opportunity to um, not let COVID kill the platform, but to, to be willing to be nimble and to, to, to adjust so that um, we can continue to do this work because we like it. It's so much fun. Thank you, Jay. Thanks to All Jay. Shucks. Thanks to Jay. And, and Liz, the incredible shrinking woman. That's right. Liz Gill of MPB. We hadn't seen her in a long time, and she has lost 70 pounds. Wow. What? So Holy smokes. She looked great. Came in here. It's great she to does. see people you haven't seen in a while and to be face-to-face, especially with people that you can yeah. celebrate such victories. So. And we are going to look at some point. She didn't know it yet, but um, she's going to be one of our special featured guests um, to kind of talk a little bit about how she was able to do it. Oh my gosh, man. She's got like this enthusiasm, this palpable like energy just emanating from her. And I mean, we were so excited just to see our, our team again in, in person, um, after having to see them on the screen. And what a great way to kick off uh, Women's Health Week. Well, it's kick it off. We're coming to an end. It, <laughs> Women's Health Week is every year. It starts on Mother's Day and continues the entire week. And so we get to round it out on Friday um, to talk about all the various things that are relevant to women's health. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Give us a call with any questions or comments you might have. I know a lot of folks have been perhaps putting off going to the doctor because of the pandemic. Hopefully that's gotten better in the past few months. But still, I think um, some folks have a hard time getting past uh, great excuses not to go to the doctor, but yeah. that excuse be over now. Come on. Yeah. Time to go. You're going to have to, gonna have to drag, drag yourself on out. And, you know, we've continued to have our, our broadcasts where we've spoken to several specialists and primary care doctors who have talked about how people have been challenged and how um, the fear of exposures and just the uncertainty of being out in public has kind of created um, sometimes delays in people being seen for serious conditions. Um, so I would say that, you know, before you guys want to run out and go to the barbecue in a couple of weeks, um, you might want to go get your checkup if you happen to have missed your checkup. That would be great. That would be fantastic. You owe it to yourself. That's right. It's, yourself. it's self-care, right? Absolutely. Self-care is the best care. <laughs> Self-care is the best care. Again, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 
Dr. Brown and I are in today, and we're going to talk about screening. So we're going to talk about recommendations for um, well women's um, health screening. So there are lots of recommendations that are out there as it pertains to vaccine schedules and other screening tests that are available for um, health conditions that um, women that affect women. And so we're going to talk about what those recommendations are. Um, Many of them are kind of stratified based on age. Sometimes they're stratified by other factors um, to determine how often you should or should not have um, these tests done. Um, Many people um, undergo wellness visits through their primary care doctor. And so your primary care doctor tends to incorporate um, your screening into the overall wellness visit. So sometimes if you have a wellness visit, laboratory um, draws may be a part of that. And that is kind of keeping in line with some of these screening recommendations. So we're going to go over um, some of the recommendations for screening for well women. Um, And then we'll kind of throw in, I guess, some of the other things that, um, you know, we'll talk about people who might be at increased risk. For those people, your your screening frequency or the recommendations may be different if you are in a high-risk group. So um, if there are certain areas where we need to kind of emphasize that, we'll make sure to, to mention that. But we wanted to spend at least this show kind of focused on, um, A, the importance of screening and then what what the recommendations are for screaming, screaming oh for gosh. screaming, don't scream. <laughs> for screening for well hopefully, women. Hopefully when you go to the doctor, you're not screaming. If you but... say well women screening 10 times fast, at some point screaming is going to come out of your mouth, I'm assured. All right. So, um, so Allie, what are we going to start with? Well, you mentioned vaccinations, and I never can memorize all the vaccination schedules. But just know that, you know, what a COVID vaccine aside, we're not even talking about the COVID vaccine, but things like getting your tetanus shot making sure you're up to date on your MMR, that's measles, mumps, rubella, getting the flu shot every year. There are options about shingles um, shots, depending on your age, et cetera. And then, having had shingles, look, get that shot. It sucks. <laughs> the, oh, and like, for example, pneumonia. So like the, the, pneumonia new, the, mm-hmm. so the pneumococcal vaccine is another one. Um, and it's, I think it's interesting, right? Cause people are a little bit more vigilant about the concept of, um, vaccinations. You hear about it more in a pediatric population. And I think what happens is when we're not in school, that's right. School will yeah, require exactly, it because yeah. you kind of have to show up with a piece of paper. Um, but outside of that, I think that is probably one of the things that it's easiest for people to, um, kind of forget about or not to kind of stay up to date with because you, how many times have you been asked as an adult whether or not you've had your shots I mean it's not really a right. thing but um but people always ask that if you have a, a child you know we're parents um as you take your kid to the emergency room or if your child has been they'll say are there immunizations up to date that's one of the routine questions that you get so I think that is definitely something that um is oftentimes forgotten as it pertains to um adults Um, So it's something that I think um, you should always consider. And there are definitely some higher risk groups. So people who are immunocompromised, um, people who have certain medical conditions, for example, I think about um, 
people who have sickle cell disease, for example, who are at an increased risk for um, infections with encapsulated bacteria. And so the pneumovax and other things like that become very important for them. Um, and then, of course, for those of us who are more senior. So, you know, once you get to 65, 65 seems to be the time when I guess it just really kind of gets exciting because um, there are all these additional recommendations either for increased um increases in screenings for certain things and decreases in screening for others. So um, it's a time of change. Yeah, a I like that. Thanks. A time of change, a season of change. So yeah, when you step into that 65 and over season, um, then that's when we start, you know, routinely recommending, um, you know, pneumovax and some of those other things. And that's because in our older patient populations or the changing season population, um, those uh, that's when you start to see people being a little bit more susceptible to those types of infections. And so um, it's just really important to ask your primary care doctor um, about your vaccinations. And if you in some primary care physician offices may not have them like all of them may not have vaccines available. Um, many of them will. Um, but if they don't, then they can at least um, direct you to a place where you can get those. The state health department will oftentimes um, offer vaccines um, for a, a minimal fee. And in some instances, they may not cost at all. So I think that's another opportunity, another resource um, that people can, can also utilize. All right. So y'all heard that vaccines, not just the COVID vaccine, but vaccines for all the seasons of life. Do you hear that music? That means it's time for us to take our first break. If you have any questions or comments to share about Women's Health Week or women's health in general, or frankly, you know, any sort of health question you might have, the doctors are in the studio. Call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. We'll be right back. an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women, where we are just so excited to be here with you today because we are live in the studio. I feel like a little kid. We're back. Yeah, you've really got a soothing radio voice today. Like, you have a whole new... Well, thank you so very much. Yeah, you sound like good times, good times, <laughs> kind of. It is women. We are rounding out Women's Health Week here on Southern Remedy for Women, and we are so glad for you to be with us. We are talking about screening today. I feel like I should say, and this is the Quiet Storm. I know. I was about to say with Doctors <sighs> Allie sounds Brown. Too relaxing. Doctors Allie Turn Brown and Michelle Owens. That's right. Reviewing the screening recommendations. <laughs> now all we need is like some background music. Like we need Come thunderstorms on, in the background. Thunderstorms. Oh, he's working on it. <laughs> he's working. It's coming. We're gonna hear the thunder clap. No, but. It's, 
not a thunderclap. You just need like, you know, the little the a light rain. Yeah, like a light rain and then the in the distance, the a rumble. rumble. A yeah, rumble. the rumble. I like that. Rumble is a rumble. good term. Yeah, no rumble in here, guys. Um so our phone lines are open. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email us at remedy. I wanted to say women. Don't but say it's it. remedy at mpbonline.org. So we are we um are talking about screening. The well um, woman exam. I like the well the well the well woman exam. Easy for you to say. Well woman, well woman, yeah. well woman exam. Um so one of the things that we um like to emphasize is the importance of cardiovascular health. And so um having and cardiovascular screening is a little complicated. We talk about all the different things that place people at increased risk for cardiovascular disease. Of course, having hypertension or high blood pressure, um, family history, being obese. And by obese, we mean having a body mass index of 30 or greater. Of course, the higher that number is, um, the greater your risk. Um, Smoking, can't forget that. Big risk factor for cardiovascular disease, as well as um, problems with your lipids, so hyperlipidemia, um, elevated triglycerides, cholesterol, those kinds of things, um, also put people um, at increased risk. Um, so, what what do people do for for screening for cardiovascular disease, Dr. Brown? Well, we know a big one is blood pressure too, right? So, just having your blood pressure checked. Um, whether you're going just into a drugstore that has an automatic cuff there, they can monitor your blood pressure, but you definitely will get your blood pressure checked at your well woman exam or your well man exam, whatever. My kids get their blood pressure checked. So that's something that's important because hypertension or high blood pressure, you know, usually unless it's really high, you don't necessarily feel bad, right? So it's not, you're not going to say, boy, my. I might have a little bit of high blood pressure. I'm going to go see the doctor. It's kind of a silent killer, as they call it. Um, It's something that takes a toll, a chronic toll on your cardiovascular system. So your heart, blood vessels, that's the blood vessels that supply the heart, that supply the brain, legs, etc. And if you just have this year after year sustained high blood pressure, that's going to cause damage over time that you may not even realize is occurring. So it's important to go to your doctor regularly because this is a place where you're going to surely have your blood pressure checked. Absolutely. And so the recommendations from the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force is that um, people should be screened, adults should be screened if they're 18 years of old or older. Um, and there is also a recommendation from Bright Futures that basically says that children should actually have their blood pressures measured beginning at three years of age. I kind of wonder if that's all based on the fact that before three, it's going to be really hard to get that darn cuff on a kid and get him to sit still long it's enough to be able to do it. It's hard to get it on my 12-year-old. Oh, my what gosh. I know. I was like, just sit still for two <laughs> seconds. Still. You're just getting the arm hug. But, yeah. So um, so just make sure um, for those people who are between 13 and 21 years of age, um, you should be getting it annually between 22 and 39. They say at least every three to five years. Um, Mississippi folks, I'd say get it every year um, just because, you know, we tend to have people who have more risk factors. Um, and then for those who are 40 years of age or older, uh, the, of course, the recommendations are that you should get your blood pressure checked at least once a year. Okay, so um, just important. Oh, and our cardiovascular friends are our 
our cardiology colleagues um, have also c- kind of redefined hypertension. So the, they keep dropping it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's crazy. You know, stop. you used to say what's normal, <laughs> right. 120 over 80. Eh, not anymore. Not anymore. Um, right. So, yeah. So 120, you're still all right. But if, it, if that bottom number or the diastolic blood pressure is 80, wah, wah. Um, that actually meets criteria for stage one hypertension. Um, And so because of this, um, I think what we have all kind of traditionally grown up with or grown up hearing as a normal blood pressure might not be quite so normal anymore. And while it may not necessarily mean that you need medication, there may, that is considered an opportunity Okay, because people don't like the diagnosis, don't want the label, but that's considered an opportunity for earlier intervention. So the whole point is prevention, prevention, prevention. And so if your blood pressures are trending up um, or or at or around that area, you know, we talk about prediabetes based on numbers, prehypertension based on numbers, then that's an opportunity for you to be more intentional about incorporating those practices, which include healthy diet and exercise, and in some instances, even weight loss. Um, and sometimes if you put the first two together, the third thing just happens. It just happens. It just it's happens. But um, it's almost like a recipe, right? But um, all of those things can help to make an impact. And a lot, if you, if you are very diligent um, and are making strides in that regard, a lot of times it will keep you off medications. And in some instances, you will notice that your blood pressure gets better. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are lots of people who, even for example, are patients who undergo bariatric surgery. A lot of them have medical problems. And then once they have lost a considerable amount of weight, um, they notice that they no longer have... Um, high blood pressure or their blood sugars are much easier to control once they've actually achieved um, a certain amount of weight loss. So um, it's so even if you are one of those people who falls into the range and, and gets that label, it can be an opportunity for you to um, take the next step in um, really being intentional about prevention. Another thing that can be done for prevention of cardiovascular disease um, is low-dose aspirin use. Um, and also, in a minute, Dr. Brown, I'm going to ask you to talk about this, uh, the, the calcium study, too, because, um, you know, Myrna Alexander Nickens, our, our cardiology friend, um, often talks about that, and that's something that people might hear about. Um, and so um, we'll talk a little bit about that. I don't think it's a widespread screening tool, but it is used to screen people who uh, might be at increased risk. Um, but the other thing is just the utilization of low-dose aspirin. Um, and that's that actually kind of can be twofold. It's not just for prevention of cardiovascular disease, which it does work for that. Um, hello to my pregnant ladies. It also is primary prevention for um, against preeclampsia or what some uh, hey, some people Owens, may have I didn't heard. know you guys recommend that for uh, yeah, ladies with child. Low-dose aspirin, yeah, baby aspirin. So um, low-dose aspirin for primary prevention of preeclampsia, which we know is also considered a moderate risk factor for cardiovascular disease later in life. So um, even for the pregnant ladies, um, that's something that can be utilized. And if you have risk factors for um, preeclampsia, or if you've had preeclampsia in a prior pregnancy, you need to make sure you're asking your OBGYN about that. Um, but in addition to prevention for cardiovascular disease, low-dose aspirin can be helpful in prevention of colorectal cancer. That's right. So, yeah, Polyps, really kind of a, uh, it's not uncommon that when a patient takes low-dose 
aspirin therapy that even if they'd had polyps in the past, they may cease to have those pre-malignant polyps um, when they're having their, uh, their, uh, when they're uh, taking that low dose aspirin. Absolutely. Um, so the calcium score. Yes, ma'am. So there is a test that um, one can have. A lot of, I'm not sure that insurance covers it in all instances. I did have it, I'll, I will disclose, and I had to pay for it. Um, it was like $100 or something like that. I um, had it here in town. And it's essentially a CT scan. Uh, it's a, um, you just lie down for a scan like you would for anything else. It's completely non-invasive. And it looks at uh, whether your coronary arteries are calcified. And if they are, it gives a score as to how severe that calcification is. Because just like with any sort of x-ray procedure, it detects things that are dense and things uh, like bones and things that are made of calcium. And so those uh, blood vessels that supply your heart, coronary arteries, also can get calcified and show up on the scan. So if you have a score of zero, that means you don't have any calcifications and then the score increases as i said as your as your risk goes up so that's a again a non-invasive test if you have a family history of heart disease particularly um heart disease at a at a younger age you know perhaps a family member has had a heart attack you know in their 50s or in their 40s or something that may be something that you want to consider if you have other types of risk factors so that's a relatively newer uh scan for or screening exam for cardiovascular disease. Absolutely. Um, in addition to that, we were talking about other things that people can um, that people can uh, do or that they may order. And so, lipid screening at that is also a big part of that. So, cholesterol, triglycerides, those things are really important um, as screening for cardiovascular disease and also for prevention, again, of colorectal cancer. Um, And many people are being placed on statins. We're seeing there's a big push to kind of expand statin use among people um, who are at risk in order to help decrease the risk and hopefully maybe make a dent in cardiovascular disease being the number one killer of both men and women. would you know love what? to think that we could lower those rates. And when you get your cholesterol check, don't don't fake it for the week before. Oh <laughs> my gosh! All the time. Oh, I got to eat healthy this week because I'm I'm going to the doctor next week. I'm gonna have my cholesterol checked. Eat like you normally do, so you can get a real result. Sounds great. Yeah, absolutely. Like, dude, don't try to pull the wool over the <laughs> eyes just so that you can Man's dodge the bullet. Right. Absolutely, because the whole point is that people need to know what you're really doing. I tell my patients with diabetes the same thing. I'm like, don't. Don't eat a McMuffin before you come in here when you know you really eat three donuts and a cinnamon roll before you like I, I need to know what you're really doing so that we can work on controlling your glucose. And part of part of that is dietary compliance, but we're human. And that's so right, like right. be a human being. That's right. Don't be ashamed of uh, Absolutely. Yeah. It's just the transparency, the honesty is really important. So um yeah, but believing in meeting people where they are. Um, and the whole goal ultimately is not just so your doctor doesn't know, but really about being able to do what's necessary to intervene, to be able to help you be your healthiest. So we have a caller who's on the line and we are going to pause right here and hear from Wendy, who's calling us from Gulfport. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning. Um, I don't know why I wanted to call. I, this is about the cardiovascular stuff that you were talking about. Um, Three years ago, I was 59. Um, it's actually on my birthday. I went to, I, my blood pressure just went crazy. I didn't know why. It got really high. 
went to the hospital. They did all the tests, you know, cardiovascular, you know, I, and my heart was perfect. You know, I ran on the treadmill better than better than you should. And um, the doctor just said, he said, well, you're getting old. And so he put me on blood pressure medication. So I fought high blood pressure for a year and a half and then found out that, and never realized that when I stood up, my blood pressure was dropping. So nobody was given us a static blood pressure. And come to find out a year and a half later that um, I had Addison's disease and kidney damage from a year and a half of trying to high, high blood pressure. But I just wanted to say that people really need to, you know, they really need to make sure that what they're checking is ends up being what it is, if that makes any sense. No, absolutely. And I, I think, um, you know, we, as so pe- when people are diagnosed with medical conditions, there are some conditions that are primary. So when we're talking about, for example, high blood pressure. Um, and, and it is so with women, women, this is one of those things you need to take note of with women. As we age, hypertension is just one of those things that seems to like us. And so especially (laughs) I'm, it's true. And especially once we get beyond, um, the, um, the change of life. So when we get into the whole postmenopausal period, you know, Mm -hmm. every 10 years, the numbers of women who who actually become hypertensive goes up exponentially, almost to the point that once you get over 80, almost everybody has it. Um, And so I think that, so, so one of the challenges is that when you are a woman who is in that category and you are over the age of a 52 to 55, people are thinking, oh, well, yeah, you know, it's very common for you to have high blood pressure. And so they may not always think that that blood pressure is because, is they may say, well, it's, it's essential. You're, you're older. And so this is why, so you just have hypertension. This is something that happens to older women. But what I will say is that, you know, there's a thing called secondary hypertension. And so you can also have blood pressures that are elevated because of something else that is wrong or another underlying condition, which is what you're describing more of a secondary hypertension. And, and so, it's really important for physicians not to just make it an assumption, even though common things are common, we yeah. still have to do our due diligence to look for yeah. some of the other things. And what you describe, Addison's disease is not a very prevalent disorder. It's, it's rare. It I mean, is. It yeah. Time, I started passing it, you know, by the time a year and a half later, you know, I'm passing out on the kitchen floor and don't know why. So it took them a while to figure it out. It really did. Yeah. Well, I'm just um, glad that they did. It sounds like you're better yeah. now, right? Are you better now? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on medication. I'm good. Um, it, I was just when I when I found out I was just like so it was like cathartic you know to at least know what was wrong with me An explanation you so, know yeah yeah so, and um, you know Wendy what, the good. thing that's interesting is you know a lot of times and we say this um, from time to time on this show there are times when you know people may be in denial and they don't want to accept something but then there are other times when I believe that you know when something is still not it's quite wrong. right yeah yes. And so even and and it's it can be very frustrating and very difficult when someone is telling you something and you feel as though they're not really hearing you and you're like, no, I am still not okay. This is not right. It's not working. But I it it appears to me that you continue to be very vigilant in like trying (laughs) to get somebody to find the answer. (laughs) Yeah. So I I didn't have a choice, but but that is so important. I I asked the doctor at first, you know, well, so you know, what could, could there be something else that's wrong? And he said, well, there might be something wrong with the kidneys, but he was a cardiologist. 
so he does the heart, and he doesn't, you know, they, they do hearts. You know, you got to got to find somebody who's willing to look at something else, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just, I think that, you know, just continuing, if you know that if it's still not right, just don't feel shy. I think sometimes people get so shy about pushing back a little bit on or challenging physicians and their their thoughts when when they still aren't feeling well. And I think if you are still not feeling right, you have to keep articulating that. You have to keep sharing yeah. that and you have to keep, you know, going back or going somewhere else until you find yeah. out. That's right. Get a second it, opinion. Absolutely. It's like hairdressers, right? Sometimes not, we feel kind of awkward about going to see another one. But, you know, this is your health, not just your hairdo. So uh, it's something that you I, really need to think about. I did that oh, yeah. because my endocrinologist that I got, I didn't like. He didn't seem to help me. I still didn't feel good. Um, my blood pressure was still wacky because, you know, your adrenal gland's not working right, so it's going up and down and down. And I finally got to see another endocrinologist who um, is really, really good and has made all the difference in the world. So, um yeah, it does. It pays to get a second opinion, always. Absolutely. Well, congratulations. We are glad that you are doing well. Sounds like you're not just surviving, but thriving. And yep. it sounds like we. it's time for us to take our next break of the hour. Thank you so much for your call. We are talking about screening, Women's Health Week. This is Michelle Owens and Dr. Allie Brown, and we will be right back after this short break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. That's right. You're listening to the Southern Remedy for Women. <laughs> Can we please have this as our music now? Can we trade out that other music for this one, Jay? I'll see what I can do. I am your daytime thunderstorm host, Dr. Michelle Owens, and I am joined by my co-host, Dr. Allie Brown. And then I ruin the whole storm because I don't sound relaxing at all. And there's no storm. It's like an electrical storm. We're interrupted by a tornado. (laughs) That was great. Great intro. Um, So, guys, we are talking about... um, Women's Health Week and um, recommended screenings for women. Um, We've touched on the importance of making sure that you are still keeping your immunizations up to date. Um, P.S. COVID people, you can get a mask-free day if you get your COVID vaccine. Um, (laughs) So... um, Yes, that's a, that according to the CDC, we will see. I'm, I'm interested to see how this um, affects everybody and how it's uptake, what the uptake is over, you know, over the country, especially right before it's summer. This is like right on time, right? Um, and there oh, and are the 12 to 16 year olds now, right? Very good I told point. my 12 year old, hey, let's get the COVID vaccine. He's not thrilled that it's two shots. 
even. Indeed. And he told me he'd rather just wear a mask. (laughs) (laughs) I think if I gave my kids that choice, they would choose same. But I will say, you know, as the person who is needle averse, I would probably be like, no, the mask is not too bad. It's not a big deal. (laughs) Well, you got your COVID shots. I did. I did. I did. And I lined up and look. I lined up and that was a, that was a whole That's thing right. for me. It My was phone works better now. I mean, I got that 5G. It's fantastic. <laughs> I did so many great things about it. Oh my goodness. Fantastic. Um, so yeah, so back to screening. Um, yes, ma'am. We're going to be serious now. We're serious. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Um, so other screenings, um, a lot of screening. So we talked about cardiovascular disease. Um, an- so another issue or a place where screening has been really important and impactful um, and where there's great good reliable screening um it's in the area of cancer um cancer prevention well for some cancers um and specifically as it pertains i guess when i think of women's health the top three that come to mind well i guess four um would be cervical cancer breast cancer um colorectal cancer or colon cancer um and lung cancer those would probably be the top four when I think of the the cancers that really have the greatest impact on um, on women's health, and so um, with respect to cervical cancer screening, and oh my gosh, these recommend the recommendations kind of change pretty frequently, um, but the screening test for cervical cancer um, is the Pap smear, um, and. Al, you might want to chime in on this. We're also, um, but we're also utilizing um, HPV typing um, as a part of um, risk assessment for women um, as it pertains to risk of cervical cancer. Yeah, you can actually take the same sample and test for the genetic material of the HPV virus and see if it's a high risk or one that um, is more likely to cause cancer versus low risk, which is more likely to cause genital warts. So that can be done in concert. It's called co-testing with the pap test, um, or there are recommendations about doing it instead of, which Dr. Owens, let her rip. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Instead of. Well, um, so that's that's kind of the more recent uh, thing. Yeah, I don't think it's so widely adopted. It hasn't, that one kind of hasn't really... caught on just yet it's a a relatively new recommendation um where it's just hpv testing alone but that's brand new and that's i think is it american cancer society that that came out of acs um you know the uh obgyn society um has not adopted that um the current rec i think the recommendations are more in line with um the Preventative Services Task Force recommendations, and so many many of you would recall that the frequency with which women were recommended to get Pap smears changed. Not only the timing of which you get your first Pap smear, because it used to be if you were sexually active, you got your first Pap smear. Yeah, regardless of age. Absolutely, and now it is based on age, so um, not uh, recommended um, in lower risk populations prior to t- age twenty one. Um, and then screening every three years with cytology, which is that pap smear, um, for those women who are 21 to 29. Um, and every five years with either high-risk HPV testing alone or every five years with testing in combination with um, the cytology, so that co-testing that you were talking about. Um, and that's for women who are aged... 30 to 65. And again, if you are, if you um, are a woman who's had a hysterectomy and you no longer have your cervix, 
then you don't have to have a pap smear. Correct. But you can have vaginal cytology. You can have vaginal cytology. That Especially if you, if you have a if history you had a of history having of, HPV. Absolutely. And, that, and so the HPV, the HPV typing really is helpful then, um, or if you have a history of what we call cervical dysplasia. Yeah, like abnormal pap absolutely. smear or something like that. Yeah. Hey, Dr. Michelle, and uh, I have a question. You just mentioned high risk for, uh, I guess, teens or kids that um, when it's time for them to get their first pap smear. Can you explain what that means when you say high risk? Well, so there. So when I say high risk, I'm specifically referring to there are certain um, medical complications that people have that put them at high risk for a cervical cancer. So, um, so the general recommendation is we don't do Pap smears until you're 21. But for example, in those people who have say HIV or what are immunocompromised people they can actually represent a higher risk group. And so there may be circumstances in which those individuals may need testing prior to. But in but typically, um, the general rule is that we're not doing pap smears on teens um, really until you're 21 years old. So the 20-year-olds get the teen tag too. Yeah. The teen tag. I the like teen it. tag. You and then the there's tag. the and then there's the other thing when we talk about high risk and that's high risk HPV. It's a type of the virus itself. So the human papillomavirus has lots of different genotypes or like types in general. Some cause warts, you know, on your hands and feet, and then some are more implicated in warts in the genital area, and then some are Called, implicated yeah, in cancer. cancer. So um, when we there's another. Thing we talk about being high risk in cervical cancer when we talk about the specific human papillomavirus types that we test for in that co-testing that we were talking about. So those women who have who will have um, HPV co-testing, um, the results are usually given as to whether or not they have high risk types. And so the high risk types are the types that are known to be cancer causing high risk, uh, cancer causing HPV types. So so. I was making high-risk reference to high-risk conditions that might predispose a person to cervical cancer. And then there's also high-risk HPV, which also increases your risk for cancer if you have those subtypes. But we've come a long way with our knowledge about HPV because it used to be that um, if a woman would have a a pap test that showed even low-grade dysplasia, so abnormal but not... Um, not uh, highly abnormal, those women would often progress to what's called colposcopy, which is a more detailed examination with a biopsy, we know, which is no small thing. I mean, and potentially even cryotherapy where they freeze a portion of the cervix. Now we take a much more conservative approach and we watch those women. So there's less risk associated with additional procedures that were found not to be helpful. And then with this HPV testing, where we actually not just look at the slide for the what we call cytology or like the, the actual cells that come off of the cervix when you actually have the pap test performed by your gynecologist or your family practice doc. When we look at that, there are times when the pap smear is not conclusive. So when the pathologist looks at it, um, it, it cells are suspicious, but they don't meet the criteria for dysplasia or for that atypia that might lead to additional treatment. So when the pap, um, the HPV typing is done along with that, it also can help 
to have a woman have less procedures done. So if perhaps that test is a negative, then, you know, the woman might go back to regular screening. But however, if it's positive, then progress to colposcopy and biopsy. So we've really come a long way. I mean, the, the chapter is definitely not over as far as the pap test and HPV testing. Yeah, absolutely. But I think um, it's really important for people to recognize the pap smear the, or the pap test smear that lets you know how old I am. Um, but the pap test. It's not a smear anymore. I right? know. It used to be. It literally. used to be. Yeah. Oh. I remember that. I was a smearer. I was a smearer. I was a smearer. When I was in medical school. But the pap test, um, again, is screening for cervical cancer. And just because you get a speculum exam doesn't necessarily mean that they're performing a pap smear. Um, There are lots of other um, procedures, lots of other information that we can gain from using a speculum exam. Um, So just because you, just because somebody uses a speculum or just because they put some swabs down there doesn't necessarily mean that you are getting a pap smear or pap test. So just make sure that, that you're aware of what it is, what tests are being ordered and what you're, what you're actually getting. Um, So those are, that's recommendations for cervical cancer. Man, this hour is going by. Um, breast cancer? Want to do talk about breast cancer? We can talk about breast cancer. You bet, Breast lady. cancer recommendation screening for breast cancer is the... Is the what? I was That was your drum roll. Oh, Did you God. I didn't know what was going on. The I was giving shaking. you the drum roll. See, That's right. We, guys, we haven't been in the studio together. It's going to take us a while to get back. We got to get this thing back and going. Our okay, vibe. drum roll the vibe again. Is off. The screening for breast cancer is the mammogram. Yay, the mammogram. Yes, ma'am. A gram. <laughs> yes, mammogram. Oh my god, I'm so funny. Yeah. Uh, okay, we're gonna keep going on that. Um, so yes, so screening for mammograms typically happens at 40 years of age, every year to two years. Um, definitely for sure. Um, after some people um, are more greater proponents of after age 50. So for sure after age 50. Um, but for those women who are at high risk, i.e. you have a first degree relative who has breast cancer, especially if they had breast cancer before menopause. Um, so that's a mom, a sister, a child. I mean, that would be unusual, but terrible. Not like your grandma. That was a second degree relative, right? Correct. The first degree. But a first degree relative who's had um, premenopausal breast cancer, um, then you are in a different group and the number 40 does not apply to you. So the um, recommendations are more related to the timing of cancer for the person, for that relative. And also the number of first degree relatives that you have also can increase your risk. Um, the greatest risk factor for breast cancer, however, is being a woman. Well, that is, yeah. that's number well, one. Yeah, well, I, and then age. Age was where I was going with that. <laughs> number Kinda, one is being a woman, duh, number two is age. Got it, because men can get it too. Hello. But less likely. Men right. can get it too. Breca one, man can get it too. Just think about that. Um, so we talked about breast cancer, um, colorectal screening. Well, I'm still on breast cancer because I think, you know, <laughs> we heard a lot uh, a few years ago about them changing the age, right? It had been 40 for a long time, and then studies came out. And the recommendation changed to 50. But you'll see that women are still often getting mammograms prior to the age of 50. And it's all about shared decision making with your provider. So, you know, the reason that that age was lowered because it was found that um, there was uh, more harm than benefit and harm being that women were having to more have biopsies and things like yeah. that. So you really have to think about that. Like um, you, 
you can still have it. You know, the recommendations, a lot of um, organizations now say no later than 50. You know, they kind of leave it open like that. So talk with your healthcare provider um, about it. If they say no, not until 50, but you feel strongly the other way. I mean, that's something to have a conversation about and perhaps to still have. So uh, I just wanted to to throw that in there because there is some, I think, some confusion about that um, as well. Well, there's a lot of confusion because depending on who you read, they say different things. That's so good. the recommendations for, for breast cancer screening are variable depending on which organization's recommendations you're following. Um, so I think that has that has really led to a lot of the confusion. We've been trying to work on this, guys. It just hadn't, it just hadn't come together, right? Can't get everybody around the table to agree. It's just so complicated. The mammogram is a non-invasive test. I mean, it's uncomfortable and squishy. <laughs> but also just understand that you may end up um, having some having to come back for a follow-up image, which is called a diagnostic mammogram, or perhaps even a biopsy, and that's the risk you face, you know, yeah. um, which would, you know, could most likely come back as, as positive. Which I think oh, negative, is, sorry, negative. Which is the real point. Like, the screening tests are not going to tell you yes or no. So for those That's women right. who have an They're abnormal mammogram, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So for those who don't who have an abnormal mammogram, if you have an abnormal screening test, abnormal mammogram, abnormal pap smear, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have cancer, but it does mean that you, there's more, more information is needed. So there needs to be more investigation. And usually the follow-up to a screening test is going to be a diagnostic test because a screening test is not intended to tell you yes or no. A screening test is about risk, higher risk, lower risk. And then when you try and if you're trying to find out, do I have it? Do I not? The answer to that is a, is a diagnostic test. And I think that's a very important Mm -hmm. distinction because a lot of people will have a positive screen and they feel like, Oh my gosh, that means I have this. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it just means that you are at a higher risk for whatever you're screening for. And as a result, there needs to be some type of diagnostic test done. So um, just because it's positive doesn't necessarily mean that you have the disease when you're talking about screening tests. That's why the diagnostic test is usually that next thing. Ergo, the biopsies or the colposcopies and all those other things that can come about as a result of a positive screening test. That's right. So we've got like 15 seconds for you to talk about colorectal Oh my gosh, that's too much pressure. Colonoscopy. Get your colonoscopy. (laughs) Get your colonoscopy. 50... Well, and and they've lowered the yeah forty five uh, yeah lowered the the age now. So for people who have a family history, it's forty five. See, that's only because Allie was stalling to talk about colorectal cancer. Real quickly, remember lung cancer is the third most common cancer and the leading cause of cancer death for women. Also, so just make sure if you're a person at increased risk that you are also talking to your doctor about appropriate screening for lung cancer yeah, which as can well. include uh, CT scans there are things that can be done for those patients that it's appropriate Owens I'm so glad to have been in the studio with you today for Always this fantastic a pleasure, episode darling. of Southern Remedy for Women that was produced by Jay White none other than the none greatest other than. we're going to be back next week hopefully again in the studio yeah same time same bat station same bat station don't act like you didn't grow up with Batman. Same time, same oh, bad okay. channel. NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio. Y'all be safe and take care. Have a wonderful weekend. <laughs>